But let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to the book of what? All right. Hey, quick announcement. Next week, we're going to have prayer and fellowship night, and we're going to have a dessert night afterwards. So you'll be encouraged in your groups to bring some dessert, donuts, pies, whatever you want. If you want to sneak in a few meatballs, Steve, that would be okay. <laughs> but uh, dessert night, and then um, December the 7th, Tuesday night, a, a new announcement. Pastor Bill Buffington will be here for our Christmas men's night out. And yes, I did say Christmas. Anybody ready for Christmas yet? I can't even believe I said that Christmas. Ah, Christmas. Christmas time is here. So December 7th, put that in your calendars, invite your buddies out. But tonight, tonight, chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, a right presentation. Remember, we started this whole thing off with the marks of a healthy Christian or healthy church there in chapter 1. Then we went in last week, we talked about the impact of the gospel. And man, what an impact the gospel has had on our lives. Amen? Anybody thankful you're saved? Thankful you're going to heaven? All right, all because of what? The gospel. Amen. Well, tonight, a right presentation or a biblically correct presentation of what it means to be a Christian. I tell you what, you put these studies together, this was a convicting one. I kept finding myself saying, no, that, that isn't representing Jesus right there. That thought, that word, that look, that action, the way I drove my car down Crenshaw. I can't, I can't do Crenshaw. I'm telling you, man, it's, it's flesh street for me. So frustrating, hit every light. But it's a serious challenge, guys, to have a right relationship with the Lord, to be in his word, to know his teachings, which would cause us to walk in a manner which is worthy, worthy of the gospel that represents the true biblical character of Jesus. And sad to say, we think down through the years, um, obviously from the time of Christ till now, um, the church really, for the most part, doesn't have a very good reputation in the presentation of a true biblical picture of Jesus. I mean, think of the Crusades, for example. I mean, really? We're going to go kill a bunch of people in the name of Jesus. I get it. Okay, whatever. We're going against the Muslims, whatever, but killing people for Jesus. I don't think Jesus would have been a part of that. Then you think about all the, the papal abuses all through the centuries, different atrocities that took place, and even what we deal with nowadays and all this sex abuse scandals. And then, of course, we got our modern-day evangelical preachers, uh, the two on the list for this year, the, the huge falls, Carl Lentz there from uh, Hillsong, New York, and of course, anybody, can you believe Ravi Zacharias? I mean, how many of you follow Ravi Zacharias? I would have tell you what, I would, I would have bet a million bucks that it wasn't him who had did all that stuff. And yet when you read them, it's like, really? Holy smokes. Of course, it was all found out posthumously. And then, anybody following the podcast on the rise and fall of Mars Hill? Anybody out there? Well, you can. <laughs> it's actually a, a, a rather detailed description of the rise and fall of Mark Driscoll back in 2014. Remember when he was up there, Mars Hill in Seattle, that completely 
imploded and just... And so they, they've done this thing. Christianity Today is a part of it, and it's, it's, it's amazing the information that they're sharing this thing. But the sad thing is nothing really would have been said. I mean, a lot was said. Don't get me wrong. It was completely in the news. But he, he shoots over to Scottsdale, Arizona, starts up this church, and the people that were involved in the other one find out he's starting to do the same exact things that caused him to resign in Seattle. So it was like they said, you know what, enough's enough. Forget it. We're pulling the covers on this. And if you listen to that thing, you'll be amazed at what was going on at that church. And a list of these modern-day mega pastors just continues to grow as we see pride replacing righteousness or purity. And, and somehow these pastors get to the point and place where they think that the whole church revolves around them. It's their business. I own it. It's mine. See, my own experience here, 29 years almost on staff, I've seen quite a few people go in and out of that green room. Not only this church, but of course the one that was across the freeway. And in those times of interacting, um, you know, for the most part, of course, the guys coming in and out, just great men of God, sweet. But there were those that came in that you knew had a little bit different agenda. And I don't mind saying this about K.P. O'Hannon, because as far as I'm concerned, the crook should be in jail. But K.P. used to come to this church quite often. And I always kind of found it strange, didn't think much of it, but he would come in the church dressed one way. He would change his clothes in the green room, and he'd put on, like, I thought he was just going more casual. You know, he'd come in one, just looking more casual, but it was all a ploy. He wanted to look as poor before me and you, so when he got up on stage, he could pound me and you because we had more than two pairs of shoes. Anybody remember that with KP? He'd hammer you. How many pairs of shoes you got in your closet? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but uh, he, he deserves to be spanked. Terrible, terrible. And, of course, he's facing all kinds of charges and everything. And then this one, I won't name the name, but I remember years ago, it was on the other side of the freeway, actually, um, Pastor Steve, it was the men's conference that we were having. He calls in sick. He, I'm sick today. So tag, I'm not only running the conference, now I'm the host and I'm the MC for everything. Like, ah, Lordy. Okay, anyhow. So I remember going into the green room. I was running around like crazy. I go into the green room to talk with some of the, the pastors that were speaking. And there was only one in there. And there was a couple of other guys in there that were attending to him. And I come in, I'm all excited like, hey, man, so glad you're here. And I can still remember the look on that guy's face when he looked at me with this face that said, who are you and who are you talking to me? I kid you not. Kid you not. I said, all righty then. I'll catch you later. <laughs> the next speaker here is a bum who dis totally disrespected me and, and the greeting. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But I actually called this the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome. The Nebuchadnezzar syndrome. When pastors begin to think that as they've come into the ministry, as they've come to a place where their churches go from five people to 10,000, whatever, it's all about them. And you guys know the story, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. Daniel was... Daniel warned Nebuchadnezzar. He had the dream, the second dream, remember? Daniel gives him the interpretation. Daniel says, oh, king, 
This is, this is involving you. Humble yourself, man. And God gave Nebuchadnezzar a whole year when you read that story. Nothing happened. So Nebuchadnezzar comes out. He's out walking through the kingdom. And this is the, the verse. Is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Anybody know what happened next? The fall was hard. Seven years into the wilderness, eating grass like an ox. And sad to say, we're seeing more and more of this with the pastors and spiritual leaders who get caught up in their own celebrity. I remember Don McClure talking with him about what happened with Bob Coy. You know, I was looking at some of this, and you guys, I've talked with about, about Bob often. But uh, you, 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 I did the internet search on some of these guys, and they put Bob's name right in the middle of Jim Baker, Bob Coy, Jimmy Swaggart. How horrible is that to have your name listed with those guys? Bob was amazing. So sad. But Don was talking to him, and he quoted at a men's a pastor's conference, the senior pastor's conference at Costa Mesa, the few months after it all happened. And he said that Bob mentioned to him that, you know what, I, I, I just got caught up in my own celebrity. And Don said, when did you become a celebrity? <laughs> See, and the world sees this, non-Christian sees this. They hear about these things, and of course we know. We hear about it at work. You guys hear about it from people you know. Family members, friends. Yeah, hear about that. Another pastor. Hey, uh, good job there. Oh, Jesus, way to go. And they see this, and they, and they say this. Hey, if this is Christianity, I'll, I'll stick to my own way of life. I'll do what I'm going to do. Hey, I'm a sinner. I'm a hypocrite. But at least I know it. And Satan, of course... Using all this is painted an absolutely false picture of Jesus. I mean, wouldn't, don't you just love when you talk to people like that? Forget about people. Just read the Gospels about Jesus and see what kind of person, what kind of man he was, what kind of Savior he is. Man, this false picture, all because of our misrepresentation of Jesus. And many people have gone and are going to hell because of that. Yikes. So our passage tonight, Paul, of course, he's clarifying what really took place when he visited and started the church because the evil detractors were saying all kinds of lies. The Jews wanted to turn the church away from Paul and the truth, of course. But Paul reminds them of what they already knew. He, he's there in Corinth writing this letter. He gets a report from Timothy. He hears some of the things. So Paul writes back saying, hey, guys, wait a minute. Time out. You're listening to the lies. He says phrases like this, for you yourself know, verse 1. And then verse 2, as you know. And five, verse 5, verse 11, he says that. Verse 9, he says, for you remember. And then verse 10, he says, you are witnesses. So the whole chapter really is kind of devoted to reminding the church of how Paul and the guys ministered, taught, loved, sacrificed, served these people. And ultimately, for me, it spoke of how they properly represented the Lord in a manner that was worthy of the gospel and worthy of God. So in our passage tonight, a number of things, five of a right presentation, a right presentation. It's 
For us, of course, the application is to have our own little self-examination. How are we doing with some of these things? And, of course, this is not an exhaustive list, five things here. But really, ultimately, when you think about your own walk with Jesus, your own representation of him to your wife, to your kids, to your family members, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to wherever, wherever you go, how is that presentation? Do they see Jesus? Or do they see you? Or worse, do they see the devil? So a right presentation is bold for God, is approved by God, is pleasing to God, is witnessed by God, and is humble before God. Number one is bold, verse 1 and 2. For you yourselves know, right there, you yourselves know, brethren, and of course Paul again, that koinonia, that fellowship, man, you guys are my brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, and of course it wasn't. I mean, in three weeks, this church was built, people got saved, and it was rocking. As we talked about the marks of a healthy church, this church had it, all because of the impact of the gospel. Our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So, bold, confident to speak the gospel. And Paul here, he's referring, of course, to what happened in Philippi. So we're going to do a little history here. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to 16, verse 16 through 24. We're going to look at Acts 17. So some history here. Paul's second missionary journey here. And we know this story. Acts 16 is, is cool. This is where Timothy joins Paul and Silvanus, Silas. They, they hook up. Paul baptizes and circumcises Timothy. And this is where we get the Macedonian call and the vision that appeared to Paul. And he says, no, you're not going here. You're going here. So then verse 11, they, they sail from Troas. They ran a straight course, Samothrace, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. Pick up the story, verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Now, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. That'd be kind of cool, huh? Have this little like prophet going before you. Make way, make way, make way. But kind of cracks me up. And she did this for many days, but Paul, now the phrase greatly annoyed, to me we could probably write, in the flesh, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and he came out that very hour, boom. But when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, now this is where it gets crazy. Here you think Paul did a good thing for the Lord, he's cast his demon out of the girl, and then what happens? Man, thank God that, like, you know, we don't have men study and you guys have a great time in your groups and all's well. Then you walk out to your car and somebody's there to beat the snot out of you. But this is Paul's life. It cracks me up. He says, here what is. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or serve. Observe, of course, 
they're Romans. They didn't know that Paul was Roman. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates, check it out. What did they do? Tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison. Like, holy cow, imagine it happening today. Commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, what does he do? He puts them into the inner prison and fastens their feet in stocks. Of course, we know the next passage, they're singing at midnight, praising God. The jailer gets saved. It really makes them mad. They kick them out of Philippi. Pick up the story, chapter 17. And now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to where? Thessalonica, our city, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul had this thing about synagogues. He went to the synagogue nine times in the book of Acts. That phrase is used about Paul. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ, preaching the gospel. He didn't preach politics. He didn't preach about the way that he was treated there in Philippi. He didn't cause, call for a revolt. He didn't call for them to vote those people out of office. He preached the gospel. I love it. Christ had to suffer. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. I don't know where Timothy is in that. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Poor Jason. He's going down in history. He's like, I just opened my house. He, he had to use the restroom, you know, and I gave him a meal. That's my little take on it. And sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Wouldn't that be awesome to be said about us here at Calvary Chapel South Bay? We have turned the world upside down. Sad to say the world's turning us upside down. These have turned the world upside down, have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king. Of course, these were lies, but there was another king. His name was Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, let him go. Then, verse 10, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, here we go again, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more fair-minded or more noble or, or more open to receive than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So those there in Berea, they were a little, they were a little cooler. They didn't have so much a problem. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few Greeks, prominent women as well. But here we go. But when the Jews from where? Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained. Ah, uh -huh, they stayed there. And so it was those who conducted or escorted Paul brought him to Athens, 
and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to depart to him with all speed they departed, so they came afterwards. And so Paul there now in Athens, he makes his way to Corinth. From Corinth is where he writes this letter. So we take it back up in chapter 2, verse Thessalonians. Bold for God, man. A right representation of Jesus is bold. Bold no matter what comes against them. No matter what. Bold. No matter what. When they left Philippi after being jailed, they didn't let what happened to them stop them from what they were called to do. And that is so important, guys. Preach, preach, preach. Paul's own countrymen, attacking him. But still, what did he do? Now, I might have thought twice about it. Wait a minute. I'm not. It'd be like me and Naz when we're over there in uh, Bosa Chica. We're walking up and down the streets. We're, we're preaching. We're sharing the gospel with somebody, and we get whooped on. Do you think I'm going back to that city the next day? Paul would go. Paul would go because he's crazy. Bold no matter who came against him, number one. Number two, bold no matter what happened. Bold, confident in the Lord. They suffered. They were spitefully treated. They were in much calm. They were thrown in jail. They were beaten, stoned, left for dead. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 through 4 or 5 there, about what actually happened to Paul. The things that he went through for the sake of the gospel. Stoned and left for dead, Acts 14 tells us. Dragged to the edge of the city. He's dead. It's like a dead cat. Just walk away. He's, he's gone. What happens, though? He's got nine lives. Pops right up, man. Paul, crazy. See, Paul knew that his labor was not in vain because he heard the report from Tim about their faith, and it fired him up. It gave him strength to continue in the fight. So no matter what the opposition comes our way, guys, family members, even your own wife, Co-workers especially, man, continue to be bold. It's hard though, isn't it? I mean, you go in a couple times and you share your little, you know, the gospel with somebody and they laugh at you. And the second time you go back and then they, a bigger crowd laughs even louder. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll leave that up to somebody else. No. Remain, guys. No matter the opposition, especially the devil, a right representation stays true to the gospel, is bold in that. Secondly, a right representation of Jesus is approved by God. Verse 3 and 4 says, Therefore, our exhortation or appeal did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Paul here reminding them of the sincerity of his ministry. And how their exhortation or appeal of the gospel came only from the purest of intentions. Of course, again, they were being lied about. They were being maligned. Nah, that Paul, they had all kinds of things up their sleeve. They were just trying to get all your money. They were, they were bringing false doctrines to you. So, number one, it was not from error. Of course, something that was not true, which speaks of the heretical teachings and the false gospels that were already happening at that time. And, of course, the Jews had accused him of teaching heresy. Why? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus wasn't their Messiah. Jesus was his Messiah. They didn't think Jesus was a Messiah, but, of course, a lot of Jews did. So it wasn't from error. Number two, it was not from uncleanness or impurity. Now, this is crazy. It means with impure motives, okay? Now, speaks of 
The sexual immorality was practiced by the cults of the time, the cult religions, whose religious practices included having sex with the ritual temple prostitutes as an act of worship. That was actually okay, very common, especially in that city. Imagine that, guys. I don't even want to imagine that. Don't take that thought right out of your head, brothers. (laughs) But how nuts is that? They were accusing Paul of the same thing. Paul said, no way. Number three, it was not from deceit, trickery, trying to fool them or hook them or trap them. See, the, they, the false teachers actually, actually used sorcery and magic and theatrics to try and appear as they had some kind of like supernatural powers to gain converts. No. Because of these things, God approved of him and his ministry. And this word approved means to test to examine, to recognize as genuine. And they were deemed worthy and entrusted with the gospel. So Paul was the opposite of the false, reminding them his message was truth. His life was pure. His ministry was honest. Sad to say, though, of course, we know in the world today, that's not the case with every church on every corner. Out there in, um, we were in Tierra Bamba on the island, and we were actually in the town of Tierra Bamba, I don't know where you were at the time, but I was with another group, and we were actually heading, it was at nighttime, heading further into the city. And as we got down the road, you might have been there, I can't remember, but um, there was a lady on a loudspeaker preaching at the Pentecostal church on site there on the island, and it was a prosperity church. And, and more than likely, and I was all in Spanish, and this lady was just railing, you could tell. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> no doubt, though, she was preaching to those poor people. And Alex was telling me, this Pastor Alex here, Prosperity Church, they people don't have nothing. And yet, teaching them the reason they're poor, the reason they're out on this island is because you're not giving enough money to God. Terrible. Terrible. Man, these people teaching with only one intention, personal gain, and and, of course, these are the ones that misrepresent the Lord. So a right representation is approved by God. Number three, a right representation of Jesus is pleasing to God. Verse 4b, he says, though, here, that even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Jesus himself said that he did only that which pleased his Father. Wouldn't that be awesome to be able to say that of ourselves? Today, Lord, everything I did only was to please you. Everything I did. Number one, though, guys, pleasing has got to be the number one thing. When we think about it, is this pleasing to the Lord? Is this the right thing to do? Should I do this? Well, let's see. What does it line up with Scripture? Nope, that's not right. Well, then that's not what I'm going to do. And yet, that what I want to do, I don't. That what I don't want to do, I do. Has to be pleasing. Paul, of course, we know he was pleasing to God by preaching the gospel. Nothing else. He didn't preach Paul. He didn't preach politics. He preached the gospel, the good news. And, of course, this was an offense to who? And that's why they wanted to kill him. But he wouldn't be a man pleaser. Paul could have tickled ears. He could have played the, the diplomatic pastor in all this compromise with them. Okay, yeah, we'll kind of include some of what you guys want and some of this here and everything. No. Straight down the line. 
Jesus Christ and him crucified. It wasn't going to tickle ears. It wasn't going to be a man pleaser. Unfortunately, this is a problem in the church, and unfortunately, this is a problem with Christians. See, pastors would rather speak to culture and to politics and to social issues and such instead of speaking the word of God. Christians, of course, oftentimes we find ourselves, I just kind of want to try to fit in. I'm going to be that chameleon Christian. Chameleons are pretty awesome. You think about it, huh? How they can blend right in, they can fit right in. Don't rock the boat, guys, at work. You ever heard the devil say that to you? Don't rock the boat. Just chill. Just chill. You know, wear your little uh, Jesus cross on your ring that nobody can see, and that's, that's my witness. What are you doing? Pumping your fist? Oh, no, I'm showing my cross. I'm a, I'm a Christian. No. Unfortunately, that's a problem. Of course, this is the tendency with that seeker-friendly church. It's like, you know what? The last thing we're going to do is tell them that they're sinners. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. We don't use the S word around here. No way. Or be offensive. And we dare not teach the word because we'll come to passage in Scripture that comes, some kind of says like, uh, you know what? Fornicators and adulterers and sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we're not going to say that. Why? You start saying, talking that kind of stuff, you're going to run the people off. And we need the people in the pews. We need them putting money in the basket, not running off. So no, 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 no. We're going to tell them what they want to hear, not what the Word of God says. And guess what? It's working really well in a lot of churches in America today. Sad to say, brothers. And, of course, we know that in these last days, there will be a famine of the Word. There will be people running to that. We know Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, they'll be heaping up for themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. I mean, how many like to be told you're a sinner. And, and we even go even further. We go to Romans chapter 3, that you're wicked. There's none righteous, no, not one. And your righteousness is as filthy rags. And that description of a filthy rag is terrible. We don't want to hear that stuff. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, eh. Jesus loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your life. And I got my Bible, you got your Bible, and we're all good. It's kumbaya here. Man, tell them what they want to hear. Unfortunately, in all this, we will and they will all stand before Jesus and give an account of what? Every word, every action, everything that we did. Now, praise God, because of my belief in Christ, That's not going to keep me out of heaven, but it is going to maybe take away a few of the rewards that God had planned for me. Therefore, of course, we speak, a right representation is speaking only to please God, not men. Paul and the gang, they pulled no punches. He walked the talk. He talked the walk. He was a right representation. Number four, a right representation of Jesus is witnessed by God. This is heavy. This is crazy. Verse 5, for neither at any time, I underlined any time, any time, did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. 
nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Man, they've been accused of preaching the gospel under false pretense for the praise of men, the flattering words, the ear tickling, for their own financial gain, building their own kingdoms, and for their own glory that men would praise them. But Paul here, he now calls upon them and the Lord. He said, as you know, you guys know this. They knew the truth. It's like he said, don't listen to those lies. You, you remember? Have I been gone that long? Come on, guys. Jog your memory. Remember we were here. And he continues this in, in the chapter. But also, the Lord knows the truth. God is witness. God is witness. Paul is calling on God as his witness to stand, in a sense, to testify on behalf of Paul and the guys. Man, the one who sees all, knows all, hears all, discerns all, the one who knows everything about you and him, he's bold enough to say, God is witness. I'm telling you right now. God is witness. Paul said to the church, we did not use flattering words. We did not put on a show to cover our greed. and We did not seek glory for men. Our God is our witness. Kind of like swearing on the Bible. They don't require that anymore, huh, when you go to court or something like that? Swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but truth, so help me. But back in the day when that was real, that's what we're talking about here. No. Bring the Bible here. I'm telling the truth right here, right now. That's what Paul was saying. In the integrity of their lives, they lived before God. They were confident enough to call God as their witness. Talk about a right representation. Think about that. Think about that. You're in, you're in a courtroom. You're being convicted or charged with you know, being a Christian, oh, I'm calling God as my witness. Would you be willing to do that? How many would ask Jesus to come and testify? <laughs> the question is, would he even show up? And if he did, what would he say? Something to think about, brothers. What could he say? What would he say? A right representation is witnessed by God. And number five, lastly, a right representation is humble before God. Love this. Verse 6b and 7. When we might have made demands as apostles, but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. The NASB says it like this. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. What? Talk about, to me, that spoke so much of somebody in the place of acting humble as who? As Jesus. Three pages to the left, please. Philippians chapter 2. This is it. Verse 5 through 8. This is a passage of Scripture that, of course, I know you all have underlined, right? And you all know this passage. But this is it. This is what Paul was representing in his actions toward them. To be even like a, a nursing mother to these people. Let this mind be in you, verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself of no reputation. Sad to say that most people in the church now today, I want a reputation. 
Get me on that radio program. I don't care how much money it costs the church. Get my name out there. Put my picture on the billboards. Let me be known throughout the, the world, whatever. Now, of course, there's a place and time for those kind of things. But it's sad to say that people want the reputation. He made himself a no reputation. Taking the form of a bond servant, the lowest of lows, the foot washer, the John chapter 13 stuff, and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Cursed are those who are hung on a tree. Jesus. And here I see just such a wonderful display of humility with these guys. Paul and the guys, man, these guys were apostles. Top dogs in the church. The big guys. Ones that drove around in limousines and jets. Yet, as a right representation, they humbled themselves and they treated the people like Jesus would treat them. So why would Paul and the guys turn from being prideful? Because Paul knew the scriptures. As pride is a sure way to destruction, so humility is a proven way to honor. Proverbs 22, 4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. That's what it's all about. That's how we need to walk in this life, guys. In humility and then throw in the fear of the Lord. Because I guarantee you, Rabbi Zacharias had no fear of God. Carl Lentz had no fear of God. Bob Coy, no fear of God. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. Because if he feared God, you would know that eventually you're going to be found out. God is merciful. God is gracious. Slow to anger. He'll deal with you first. But eventually, it's going to come out. When you walk in the fear of the Lord, you realize that, you recognize that. And none of us perfect in this room, but man, if I have a fear of the Lord, it is surely going to keep me from doing 99% of the stupid things that I do, recognizing that I'm not going to get away with it. Well, you may get away with it for a bit, and everybody thinks, well, the Lord didn't find out about that one. So, I mean, I heard, I mean, Rabbi, he, he was traveling with these massage girls. They were his companions to go to speaking engagements. 20-year-old chicks. Did anybody ever? And his own leadership admits, we kind of saw all these things and we didn't step in when we should have. Could have saved his ministry. But the sad thing in those kind of situations is those guys went to that place, ain't nobody telling me what to do. Remember when Jimmy Swagger was taken down and he's, he's on TV? Ain't nobody telling me I'm leaving this church. This is my church. I'm not going anywhere. And he's still on TV. People still giving him money. Jim Baker. What in the world? I kind of got off a little tangent here. So, <laughs> so what is lacking in a church and among Christians is humility, guys. Humility. I wrote down here that being a prideful Christian is an oxymoron. It just just can't be. Those two don't. They don't work. It's a misrepresentation. They don't go together. So application, 
Really just one thing under application tonight, the app factor. How is my representation of Jesus? And this is where all you, as you've been hearing, as you've been receiving, as I have been receiving, as you've been thinking, the self-examination time. Because it'd be silly to walk away from this night and just go, oh, yeah, yeah. No, God is speaking. God is ministering. Because really, we need to, the church needs to, the Christians of the world need to change the face of Christianity. Jesus has got, he didn't got just one black guy. He's got two black guys. He's got a busted nose. He's got a, he's got a bad, messed up mouth with the things that Christians are doing that are painting the wrong picture of who Jesus is. Self-examination, things to think about, that word, that thought, that joke, that flirting look, that image on your computer or your phone, that business deal, the conversation that you just had, maybe that attitude or that outburst or maybe that TV show, the movie you just saw. Was it a right representation of your Jesus, of my Jesus, of the one who died for your sins, who gave himself, who sacrificed his life for us? Was it a representation of Jesus or was it more like the devil? As we want to like nail it here. And of course, we need to let God search our hearts. You need to examine your own hearts. Think about the things you're doing, things you're saying, where you're going, your thoughts. Because, see, we, we, we can get away with a whole lot in here. Because only you and the Holy Spirit know this. Thank God for that, amen? <laughs> Imagine if your wife knew your thoughts. Although my wife, I know she does. She's like, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're doing. You're not going there. Yeah, I can't do that. What are you thinking to spend all? No, she doesn't do this. But let God search your heart seriously, guys. And make the changes that are necessary. That's all God is doing. And for some of us here tonight, this is just praise God. You're confirming. You're, you're, I, I'm receiving it. But there are others in this room tonight, I guarantee you, that God is warning. And you were supposed to be here tonight because he wants to save your marriage. He wants to keep you from doing whatever or going wherever or saying whatever or whatever. There's some that the Holy Spirit is here as that final roadblock, you know, like the, the donkey in, in Balaam. I mean, just like, dude, don't go there. That's what God is saying. Don't go there, you guys. Make the changes necessary that we would all walk worthy of the one who saved us, guys. Let us change the face of Christianity starting right here tonight. And let our representation of Jesus starting from tonight be the one that's in line with Jesus. That we would walk worthy of the gospel. Amen. Let's stand and let's pray, brothers. And Father, we, again, we thank you so much for the ministry that you gave the Apostle Paul. We thank you for a word like this tonight. Um, and Lord, ultimately, we, again, we thank you so much for your love for us, Lord. You, you know our hearts. You know our lives. 
And Lord, you know we're not perfect, and, and you're okay with that, really, um, because you died for us. You, you made the way. You make it the gap. But also, Lord, we know that you don't want us walking in disobedience. You don't want us walking and doing those things um, that really ultimately, yeah, your name is on the line, but God, you're, you're, you care about us. You don't want our marriages destroyed. You don't want our jobs lost. You don't want our lives lost, Lord. So I pray for the brothers tonight that, God, you would speak, you would minister. Um, we know the devil wants to condemn, but, Lord, you want to convict, and you want to bring change because of your love. So, Lord, I pray that as we all, even the men as they go back into the groups, talking about those things, Lord, there'd be confessions. There'd be um, commitments, recommitments to change, to turn from that situation, that circumstance, that place, that maybe, the, the, maybe it's just the pornography situation, Lord. That, God, you would, um, you would rescue and you would restore. You would build us up, Lord. So thank you again. Thank you for these dear brothers. Bless them, Lord, tonight, I pray. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.